Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 26. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. So today I have chapter 25 of Outcast all set to go. As always, I'll be cross-posting this episode on the original Outcast podcast feed. And if you're listening to this there, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the new feed at kickit.yo5.ca or over at podchaser.com. So without further ado, let's get into chapter 25 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 25 The expected knock at the door never came that night. I had to admire Grandfather's restraint at that, instead focusing on keeping Tila and Richard calm, no doubt. They needed him there. I understood that. That he was able to make any time for me was a blessing, but his duties were to the clan. It would have been suspicious for him to go take a walk in the middle of what must have been a heart-wrenching experience. The silence on his part did nothing to quell my anxious curiosity, though. Oh, how I wished to be a fly on the wall inside the estate afterward, listening to the incoherent babbling of the Shatlia I'd soundly pounded. How did they explain their state? I envisioned Grandfather exploding in fury at them, demanding answers as to why they were on his grounds, threatening his clan. It must have been glorious. It happened three days after the fight. I had just finished my shift and was changing after my shower when my ID card flashed with a message. It was from the contact number Grandfather had given me all that time ago. Are you home? Small as the card was, it was hard to type out my reply on it, but after some trial and error, I managed to hit the right letters. Just leaving work. We'll be home within the hour. I then sent a quick message to Taki that we would be having company tonight. She responded just as I closed my locker and made for the exit. On the transport home, a feeling of anxiety built inside me. Plain text messages were difficult to read in an emotional sense. I had no idea how Grandfather was feeling when he messaged me. Was I in for a lecture for what I'd done, or would this be a more muted, civil meeting? From a clan perspective, there was no sin greater than an exile daring to set foot on a clan's estate. That alone carried the penalty of death, but what punishment awaited an exile who single-handedly pounded a handful of Shatlia into paste? What about daring to speak to a clansman while being an exile? Were those grounds for yet more death sentences? Gods, if that was the case, I qualified for three executions. Despite the gravity of the situation, I couldn't help but laugh. At least my head could only roll once, leaving the clans crying for more justice than I could truly serve. The knock came about thirty minutes after I arrived. As I thought, it was less a gentle knock and more a panicked, rapid-fire set of loud raps. Even before I heard our names, I knew it was him. As I approached the door, 
I could see Tekim move off to the side and begin to tense up. She was preparing herself in case Grandfather wasn't alone, and that he'd escorted others here who had less than friendly intentions. I let my claws extend and my ears lower as I too prepared myself for a potential attack. The attack came the moment I unlocked the door and pulled it open. It wasn't so much a swing to the muzzle or anything, but more an old man pulling me into a tight, tearful embrace. I froze for a moment before returning the embrace, still trying to process just what in the name of the Seven Hells was going on. You... you fool! His voice was cracking and heavy with emotion. You brash, impulsive, unthinking, wonderful fool! You saved her! We broke the embrace and Grandfather hustled inside. Taki was on the door moments later, doing a quick scan outside before closing and relocking it. I wasn't one for keeping alcohol in the dwelling, but there was still a near-full bottle of wine left from a previous day. I poured him a glass as he sat at the table. Here, I said. It might not calm your nerves completely, but... Calm my nerves? he asked, his tone growing more excited. By the gods, Dallin, I should be toasting you with the finest champagne in the land for what you did. He lifted his glass in salute before downing the contents in one very unclan-like gulp. Do you have any idea the repercussions of your actions, grandson? I, I don't regret my choice, I finally said, trying my best to sound confident and, no doubt, failing miserably. Nor should you, grandfather said, pointing his finger at me. It's high time those whelps met their match. His excited tone was at the same time infectious and unnerving. He seemed almost manic with joy, which made me wonder if his mirth was genuine, or if he'd gone screaming off the deep end of sanity. Grandfather, I said, what, what happened? What happened? He countered. Tila and Richard came stumbling back to the house and told us all what happened. Your father and I went to investigate what happened, and found five Chatelia near death crying to their patrons. That's what happened. I, Tila and Richard said little about their savior, though they did mention two striking red eyes and an otherworldly voice, he continued with a wink. And thanks to that person's intervention, Tila is safe. Safe from what? Teki pulled up a seat next to him. Grandfather leaned across the table. I could visibly see his mood shift from joyful to serious. Lars has been creating quite a stir within the council, demanding more resources to finding the Kalpak, he began. It has been over a year with no sign of it. The Najari are known for rooting out anyone who steals from the clans, but even they are at a loss. But Lars isn't on the council, I said. I retrieved the bottle of wine and two more glasses before sitting down. I had a feeling we would need it. He has as much power as, well, you do. True, but there's an old Terran saying that comes to mind. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Grandfather poured himself another glass, and then filled ours as well. The council would sooner acquiesce to his wishes than hear him constantly prattling on about it. So... How does Tila fit into all this? Grandfather let out a low growl. Lars' claims are growing more outrageous. 
More and more, I believe your suspicions are correct, and he knows his scheme is unraveling. He leaned back and steepled his fingers. His latest accusation against us is that we stole the Kalpak ourselves and have been waiting for the right time to sell it. You're right, I said. That is outrageous. Oh, but it gets better. Grandfather's smile was a bit unnerving. According to Lars, your exile was allegedly our way to insert you into the underworld so you could make the necessary connections with the buyer, hopefully one not under the watchful eye of the clans. I nearly spat out the mouthful of wine I had. The utter absurdity of Lars' claim was nothing short of insane. Me? A middleman for a clandestine art sale? Tila was to be an incentive for us to turn over the Kalpak, he continued. Upon the artifact's return, she would be released to us unharmed. A lie, Tekis said. They would have killed her and claimed she was trying to escape. Grandfather nodded. Very true. And once she was dead, Mikiel would be next, or Alexander, or anyone. Desperate as he has become to deflect suspicion, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried for your grandmother. Gods help them if they did. That tigress possessed a fury streak in her that would give Ratal himself reason to pause. Why now? I asked. Grandfather looked at me. Assuming we're right, then Lars has been sitting on all of this for over a year with no incident. So why is it all coming apart now? I believe something is happening in the council itself, Grandfather offered. Some political matter that is perhaps threatening Lars' position of influence. Tarman has been fairly silent on any matters pertaining to his station. Is Tila safe now? Grandfather nodded. She will be. Word of a Lautari loose in the clanlands will doubtless divert the attention of the Shadlia for the time being. With any luck, the more pious members of the council will take it as a sign to leave our clan alone. Arrogant as Lars is, he would be a fool to defy such an edict, especially with two Najari clans nearby. One of them are friends, I added, thinking briefly of Shiana. Indeed. The three of us finished off the wine before Grandfather rose. Dallin, with your permission, I'd like to tap a few more resources to help in this matter. He smiled as I cocked my head. Admittedly, my efforts to glean any information on my own has been troublesome at best. Many see my inquiries as those of a desperate elder trying to keep his family together. To that end... I'd like to share this speculation of yours with some who are much more discreet and bloody effective at gathering intelligence. His knowing smile said it all. The Winter Stalkers, I breathed. Old Boreth did not take too well to having his granddaughter's betrothal broken, he said with a wink. Giving his anger a direction in which to be focused, well, let's just say I almost hope we're wrong about all this. His smile took on an almost predatory look. On anyone else, it would have looked fine, but on someone I'd come to see as eternally benevolent, it left me feeling uneasy. I should go, he said. Doubtless the council's lackeys are pounding on our door, demanding my presence. Taki and I also rose, and after a round of mutual embraces, he opened the door. Before he left, he turned to face me once more. Stay out of sight of the estate for a while, Dallin, he warned. 
The Chatelier will no doubt be more present around the grounds in the foreseeable future. I will do what I can to keep them away from this place, but I can only do so much. I will, Grandfather, I said. He embraced me one last time, whispering his thanks for saving Tila before finally leaving. I locked the door and sat back down at the table. I felt Tiki's hand on my shoulder, giving it a gentle squeeze. I looked up at her smiling muzzle. Everything all right? she asked. I covered her hand with my own, eliciting a gentle purr from her. No, I said, bowing my head. Nothing's all right anymore. She straddled my legs and sat facing me, her arms around my neck. I don't know what to do, I admitted. If Lars is going after my family now, how can I just leave them? Tiki remained silent. All our plans to eventually quit this place and leave it all behind were in pieces now, thanks to a moment of stupid chivalry. Granted, she'd been the one to encourage me, but if we'd left well enough alone, Grandfather would have been a wreck. Doubtless the clan would have fallen if they'd succeeded. Tila would have died in terror, and Grandfather would die of a broken heart. I saved lives and maintained the family, but at the price of my life getting infinitely more complicated. Dallin, she finally said, maybe leaving isn't the best option for us. But I know you want to. I know I want to. But after what happened, I think something doesn't want us to. And they're doing whatever they can to keep us from it. She smiled thinly. Maybe we should listen. If I go through with this, they all die, I said softly. Lars would never let us live if the Council exiled his clan. Even if I had irrefutable evidence, once unleashed, he'd... I stopped, trying to hold back my tears and failing miserably. The only other way is to find out for myself. But I'll never be that strong, Tiki. One cub against an army? They'd throw my body at Grandfather's feet moments before slaughtering them all. I'm not strong enough, Tiki. I'll never be... Tiki closed the distance and kissed me again. I weakly returned it before she buried her muzzle in my neck. I wrapped my arms around her and simply held her, wanting so desperately to just shut my mind off and revel in the feeling of the cougar I loved in my arms. Her purrs deepened, and for those precious few minutes... Nothing else mattered. I don't really remember the next few days. I knew that I woke up, ate, went to work, trained, came home, ate, and went to bed. Beyond that, I remembered nothing. The normally memorable details of day-to-day -day life, those things that you reflect on in your old age, escaped me for those days. If someone asked me what I'd eaten that day, I could probably tell them but I could never remember the smell or the taste of it. In a word, I was numb. I wondered at the time if this was what depression felt like, a type of eternal, inevitable frustration from which there was no real escape. I felt like a lone soldier facing down an entire army, but holding a bomb that could end the entire conflict with the press of a button. If I pressed it, the explosion would take me along with the army, but the conflict would be over. If I stood up to place the device in retreat before detonation, they would cut me down. 
If I ran from it all, the battle would end and everyone I swore to protect would die. My life, it seemed, was the price I would have to pay so that others would be safe. However, even that was no guarantee. I was so sure the Rondoki had the Kalpak, yet there was no way to prove it without going to their estate and seeing for myself. That was a death sentence. Although, such an intrusion might convince the council to do their own investigation. Perhaps my death would spark the end of all this in such a way that my family would be safe. However, it still meant my death. I thought about what Grandfather said about death being necessary. Infiltrating the estate, assuming I could, would probably result in me having to fight my way out, and with lethal intent. I'd been lucky in my past battles, but the reputation of the Midnight Fang as fighters was well known. Even the Najari would be hard-pressed to raid that place. If they couldn't do it, what chance did I stand? I hated Lars for putting me in this position. I felt like he'd been watching me all this time, waiting for the right moment to try and call me out. How much of a chess master was he? Was going after Tila a mere contingency plan for him, or was it a move of desperation as Grandfather believed? Either way, he played my family against my desire to run, and I hated him for it. Had Taki and I run the night she said none of this mattered to her, how long would it have been before I knew about Tila? Would I have even found out? Perhaps not, but by then none of it would have mattered, would it? By then we would have been long gone, and perhaps Teki would already be pregnant. I'd been so sure that she was right, and that the gods had wanted us to leave all this behind. Yet now, with Lars' attempt at Tila, something else was convincing me to stay and potentially sacrifice myself. It would have been so much easier to simply die that night. If the thieves had done their jobs properly, then Lars' scheme could have been carried out with no issues. He could still hang on to his precious artifact and be the big cat on campus, like he always was. The High Council would restore his vanity, and the Calamars would only need to mourn my passing. So much easier. But no. Those Paklas just had to mess up, didn't they? If I ever found them... I promised myself to beat them all to a pulp while roaring at their stupidity as I did so. Someone you should forget. It was too late to simply run now, even if Tila and Richard did as I asked and had forgotten me. I was involved in all this because I couldn't just leave well enough alone. All I wanted to do was to keep them safe like any brother would, and by doing so I'd thrown everything away. My life, my future with Teki, the family we talked about, all of it was gone. I'd thrown it all away, and I hated myself for doing so. My conscience wouldn't let me drop the matter either. Every time I grew angry, I thought about leaving. Every time I thought about leaving, my mind would suddenly fill with images of my time with them before this whole nightmare even started. Once the thought that returning was possible, my anger would cool. It would remain cool for a time, then it would build again only to cool once more. On and on the cycle continued, 
each time driving me further and further into a funk. I tried to hide my feelings, but met with only some success. It was easier at work, since most of the tasks I performed were by rote, no need for too much extra expression. Crosso was tougher to hide my emotions from, but I still did what he said and kept a decent win-loss record in the sparring sessions. That placated him for the time being, at least. Teki knew me too well, however. She let me use the excuse of, I'm just tired, or I had a bad day at work, for the first two days and let it slide. But after that, she became increasingly worried. After letting the subject drop for the evening, I could still feel her gaze on me when she thought I wasn't looking. When I would raise my head to meet her eyes, she would quickly turn away or focus back on what she was originally looking at. It made for a few uncomfortably quiet evenings, but at least they were bearable to start with. I knew something had to give eventually. It was inevitable. Either resolve this inner conflict or suffer from my indecision. I could feel the weight pressing down just that much more with each passing day. My heart ached to be rid of this indecision, but I couldn't do it. To save one, I had to hurt the other, and I couldn't bring myself to do so. Protect my family or save Teki? Both were equally precious to me. Both were a part of me. I needed them both. But I couldn't have them both. At least, not the way I wanted to. Two weeks before school started, I knew I wasn't fooling anyone anymore. Alistair called me into his office not ten minutes after I arrived for my shift. He bid me to take a seat, and for the first time in I couldn't remember how long, my whiskers twitched. Did he know I was in exile now? Would the Shatlia be breaking down the door in mere moments? I did my best to remain calm as I took a seat. Alistair took his own and leaned forward, his elbows coming to rest on the desk. Mr. Kane, he said, folding his hands. Do you know why you're here? N no sir, I said, trying my best to keep calm. Did I do something wrong? No, he replied. Well, not yet, anyway. However, I've been receiving reports from your supervisors that your performance and attentiveness has been sliding as of late. He leaned forward even more. I know you are not so naive as to know the consequences of a lack of vigilance, I nodded. You have been a veritable breath of fresh air to this place since your arrival, Mr. Kane. I have come to rely on you to get the jobs I assigned to you done, but as of late you seem distracted. Such distraction can be dangerous in a place like this. More so on the spaceport side. So I need to know, Mr. Kane, what's wrong? I... What could I really tell him? The truth? Losing my job would be the least of my worries then. A lie? He'd most likely see through it. Are you in trouble? He asked. Do you owe someone money? It's nothing like that, I said. Just a lot of personal things have come up related to my parents. I thought I was done with it all a few weeks ago, but things are just getting worse. It's nothing bad, sir, but it is something I must deal with. It just won't be that easy. Family tragedy is never easy, Alistair said. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a tragedy, would it? 
He seemed to relax a bit, which eased the twitching of my whiskers considerably. Up until now, you've been an exemplary worker, Darian, he said. And I want that exemplary worker back again. So as of now, you are off for the next two weeks. Two weeks? Alistair held up his hands. That should give you plenty of time to sort out whatever it is that has been chipping away at your resolve and let you come back to us good as new. He smiled slightly. Consider this your vacation time, Mr. Kane. Take some time, get your head firmly reattached to your shoulders, and come back when you are ready. I leaned back. Two weeks of vacation time meant one less distraction keeping me away from the decision I had to make. In truth, the last thing I needed was more time just to sit and brood, but it didn't look like Alistair was giving me much choice in the matter. Finally, I nodded. Thank you, I said evenly. I'll get this whole thing resolved so it's not a problem anymore. We both rose and he extended his hand. Glad to hear it, Mr. Kane, he said. We shook hands and I turned to go. Despite the circumstances behind this forced vacation, I couldn't help but feel a small smile twist up on my muzzle. Knowing that I was making such a good impression on Alistair gave me just a brief reprieve from that pressing weight on my heart. I knew it wouldn't last, and by the time I made it home, I would probably be just as melancholic as I was before the meeting. But at least for one moment, I felt just a little like my old self again. I only wish it could have lasted just a little bit longer. As the dwelling came into view, the feeling of dread returned with a vengeance. I could feel my stomach begin rolling as the anticipation of another night of long, awkward silences loomed. I wondered if the reason it had hit so hard was because of that brief reprieve I'd received from Alistair earlier. Perhaps that one moment of respite made me forget just how crushing my burden was, and now that I was nearing home, that burden seemed determined to remind me of its magnitude. I realized in that moment that I had to do something about this. I couldn't take another sleepless night of constant worry and indecision. I had to talk with her about this and accept the consequences of it, no matter what they were. I opened the door slowly, as usual, to not startle her. I saw her sitting at the table, her muzzle buried in a book. She looked up from it and gave me a smile, which quickly faded. Normally, I would have asked what was wrong, but I already knew the answer to that. I offered a thin smile in response and moved to take my shoes off. Wait. I heard her get up from her chair and walk towards me. Wordlessly, she took my backpack and placed it on the floor before picking up her own shoes. We need to talk, she said, but not here. Why not? I asked. Isn't here as good a place as... You'll see, she interrupted. It only took a moment for her to be ready. She pushed past me and, grabbing my hand, pulled me back outside. Despite my mood and building sense of paranoia, I still couldn't help but chuckle as I moved to lock the door. That done, she grabbed my hand again and dragged me into the woods. She ended up taking me to a place we'd found several weeks ago. It was further up the stream that fed into the pool Ra'al had made for himself and any future exiles. The last time we were here, we'd spent several hours just sitting, holding each other and listening to the babbling of the water. Why did she want to come here? 
She let go of my hand and found a clear space. She sat down, cross-legged, and bid me to do the same opposite her. After I sat down, she held out her hands to me. I gently gripped them in my own and waited. I know you're hurting, Dallin, she finally said after a long silence. I've seen you grow worse with each passing day, and it's scaring me. This past week, each day you left for work, I wasn't sure if you were going to come back. Her voice was beginning to crack. Please, love, tell me, what's going on? I looked away, blinking back my own tears. Knowing this moment was coming did nothing to relieve me of the pain of it. Knowing that she'd been the one to take the initiative didn't help things much either. If anything, it made me feel even lower than I did, if that was at all possible. I made a mistake, I admitted. I made a mistake, I damned us both, and I hate myself for it. What mistake? I looked back at her. Saving Tila and Richard, I said, trying to keep my emotions in check. Not leaving the day after you said none of this mattered. I've made so many mistakes, Tiki. And now it's all come to this. Despite my confession, the weight I felt on my shoulders hadn't budged. If we leave now, then they'll all die. You heard what Grandfather said. They'll come again for Tila. Then Makio. Then the others. They won't stop. And knowing that just... Had we left, it wouldn't change this, she said. No, I insisted. But we wouldn't have known about it. Dallin, but now? Now it feels like the only thing left is for me to go through with all this. I sagged. One moment of chivalry, and I've thrown it all away, Teki. Death by blade or death by a broken heart. I don't know what's worse. I turned away again, feeling unworthy of looking at her. One way or another, I'm going to die and leave you alone. Her hands squeezed mine tightly. I paused to collect both my breath and my thoughts. Inside I felt as though a dam had burst. Thoughts and words rushed through my mind with a tidal force. I'm a fool, I muttered. I thought I had it all figured out. Work hard, earn what I could, put the clans behind me, focus on just us and the family we talked about. But after what I did, I... We can't leave them, can we? I exhaled and realized how ragged my breath was. I wanted to just cry, but it would have done nothing to help. I want to, Teki. God damn me, I want to. I just want to run, but... There was no way I could now. Tila was innocent. Richard was innocent. All my siblings were innocent. They didn't deserve to be in this pit with me. My father may have condemned himself by sparing my life, but he had no right taking the rest of his family with him. I felt Taki's hand slip from mine. A moment later, I heard a rustling and looked up to see her crawling towards me. Our muzzles met tenderly, and before I knew it, she had pushed me onto my back, her laying on top of me. We kissed for what felt like an eternity. Finally, she broke the kiss and looked down at me. I gazed up into those amber eyes of hers and saw only understanding. She smiled once more. Gods, how I'd missed it. 
No matter what happens, Dallin, she said softly. Know that I'll always love you. She leaned down again, and her muzzles met once more, this time with that passionate, fiery abandon only two repressed lovers could possess. I heard her begin to moan softly, and I knew that before the night was over, this place would be yet another reminder to us of the love we felt for each other. Deep down, I knew I had a handful of days left. Before long, fate would force me to present my neck to the council, or once more stand in defiance of Lars' intent against my family. One way or the other, my life was nearing its end. But at least for now, in this moment, I knew the truest love one could feel. And that's our story. So by the time this airs, the long-awaited day will have passed, at least for those of us who love a good superhero movie. I'm of course talking about the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Now, some might not know this, but Zack was working on the movie when, tragically, his daughter took her own life. Naturally, he stepped away from the project and Joss Whedon stepped in to finish the movie off. Read into that what you will. There was a lot of speculation that the Snyder Cut existed, but in an unfinished state. Despite denials from Warner Brothers, it was eventually revealed and movie fans were adamant that it should be completed and released, since the Whedon Justice League wasn't exactly everyone's cup of tea. But, to be fair, when you're competing with something as big and well-crafted as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, well, let's just say you've got your work cut out for you. I think the pandemic and the lack of well-written movies as of late helped spur this movement on. And now, as of March 18, 2021, HBO Max aired the four-hour Snyder Cut of Justice League. By the time this airs, I probably won't have seen it yet since, well, HBO Max, unemployed, so yeah. But that's not what I really wanted to talk about. What I did want to mention was that a group of people on YouTube, uh, pop culture commenters specifically, decided to do something in honor of the Snyder Cut coming out. Several of them have done live streams with Zack Snyder already, and on the day before the airing, they had a YouTube tailgate party with several members of the Geeks and Gamers crew, Zack Snyder, Ray Porter, who did the voice of Darkseid, and Joe Magniello, I probably killed that, uh, who plays Deathstroke in the movie. Now, the stream served a dual purpose, one to hype up for the movie, but also as a fundraiser for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. When it was all said and done, the stream rose over $77,000 for the foundation and another estimated twenty to 25000 from a swag auction they had going on at the same time. The dynamic of entertainment is really changing thanks to the pandemic. Now, with little more to do than consume media 24-7, I think people are really seeing how mediocre a lot of mainstream movies and shows have become. And with all this time on their hands, people are speaking out. For good or for ill, it's interesting to see some entertainment companies listening to the fans and creating content for them. It'll be even more interesting to see what happens as the pandemic winds down and this insanity eventually ends. In any case, I think I'll leave it here for now. 
As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, please feel free to email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or you can leave a voice message via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.